no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. The framers of the Constitution wanted to make clear that the federal government could not favor one church, one establishment of religion, over another, nor could it prohibit the free exercise of religion. What they sought to clarify, and what Thomas Jefferson meant when he spoke of the separation of church and state, has, however, been debated ever since. In the 1960s, the Supreme Court interpreted the Free Exercise Clause as banning laws that even burdened a person's exercise of religion. But in the 1980s, the court began to allow legislation that incidentally prohibited religious activities. A ruling in 1990 that led to the forbidding of uh, wearing yarmulkes uh, in government buildings by Orthodox Jews took away accreditation from Catholic teaching hospitals that refused to provide abortions and prohibited evangelicals from building churches in city areas zone commercial led to the passing of the Religious Freedom Restoration Act of 1993, which was then declared unconstitutional in 1997. You know, the debate continues over whether churches can teach that homosexuality is a sin without the fear of being charged with a hate crime, can refuse to perform same-sex marriages without losing tax-exempt status, and if Christian employers can refuse to provide insurance coverage for morning-after pills. Now, this really shouldn't shock us. It shouldn't shock us that religious liberty is on trial in the courtrooms of America on a regular basis. In fact, religious liberty was on trial 2,000 years ago when Paul was brought before the judgment seat of a Roman proconsul. We're studying the book of Acts, chapter 18, where we find the apostle Paul in the city of Corinth. And as we saw two weeks ago, he came to town with, with much fear and trembling. Things had not gone well in the previous communities he had been evangelizing. Fortunately, however, after he got to Corinth, he, he found encouragement in the companionship of Aquila and Priscilla, a Jewish couple that he met there. And he was also encouraged by the arrival of of Silas and, and Timothy, who, who joined him now from Macedonia. And he was encouraged by the financial support that they brought from Philippi that enabled him to stop making tents and devote himself full-time to preaching and teaching. And he was very encouraged by success, especially when Crispus, the leader of the synagogue became a Christian, and many others followed his example, believing and being baptized. But his success brought up some old fears for Paul. Because whenever he was successful in leading Jews to Christ, the Jewish leadership 
would grow jealous and muster opposition, even persecution, against him. And it was at that point that Jesus appeared to Paul in a vision at night and said to him, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. Paul had backed off. But assurances from Jesus gave him the courage to resume an active ministry. And he began once again teaching openly in Corinth. And he continued doing so for 18 months. After he had been doing so for eight or nine months, the assurance that Jesus gave him that he had many people in the city became very obvious. Not only were people coming to Christ, but God had apparently placed in Corinth the equivalent of a federal judge to ensure Paul's right to preach and teach. This is really cool. It was to this court that the Jews brought the charge that put religious liberty on trial. Acts 18, verses 12 and 13. But while Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him before the judgment seat, saying, This man persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. Now we can pick up some history here. Gallio became the chief Roman authority in the province of Achaia, southern Greece, in 51 A.D. He was a brother of Seneca, the famous Roman statesman and philosopher. And he was a man of, of high character and gentle nature. His brother Seneca once said of him, Nor mortal man is so pleasant to any one person as Gallio is to everybody. Shortly after his arrival in Corinth, the Jews apparently sought to take advantage of his good nature and decided to take their concerns about Paul to him. They rose up against Paul and took him before the judgment seat, which was literally a chair on a raised platform in the marketplace where Roman governors heard matters brought before them by the people of the province. Well, it was to this place that the Jews brought Paul charging that he was persuading men to worship God contrary to the law. A charge that was intentionally vague. They didn't say whether he was violating Roman or Jewish law. They left it open. They just said, violating the law. But it had to be Jewish law. Christianity had not been judged a legal or illegal religion at this time, so the Jews couldn't accuse him of violating Roman law by teaching Christianity. And since Judaism had been judged a religio licita, it had official recognition by Rome. It was legal to practice Judaism without government interference. But the Jews didn't consider Christianity to be Jewish. So apparently they were hoping to get it declared an illegal 
religion. He's teaching things against the law, they said. Well, that's what they were after. They were wanting Christianity declared illegal. And they were afraid to come right out and say that, but Gallio knew what they were up to. Let's see how he handled it. Let's see how this judge that God placed in Corinth at just the right time handled this child. Verses 14 through 16. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrong or a vicious crime, O Jews, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you. But if there are questions about words and names in your own law, look after yourselves. I am unwilling to be a judge in these matters. And he drove them away from the judgment seat. Paul didn't even get a chance to speak. You know, since Judaism was a a legal religion, he was no doubt going to show that Christianity was the fulfillment of Judaism, as he had previously done before local magistrates. Jesus was the Jewish Messiah, and therefore it stood to reason that it had to be legal to be a Christian. So he didn't get a chance to say anything. He didn't need to. Gallio could immediately see that this was strictly a religious matter, not one for the secular courts, and therefore threw the case out. He could see that the Jews were looking to use the courts to silence someone with whom they disagreed. He said, if it had been a vicious crime or an obvious violation of Roman law, something over which he did have legitimate authority, he would have heard the case. But it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a religious matter. It was, in fact, an internal religious problem related to questions about words, names, and Jewish law. So he told them to look after it themselves. He was unwilling to judge the religious disputes. And he drove them away from the judgment seat, figuratively or perhaps literally, with the lictors bearing rods. Now, this might seem out of character for a man who is known as a gentle person, but it is in character for a fair man dealing with a Jewish mob. He judged the issue was not one for a secular court to handle. And dismissed the case. Obviously, that was an excellent decision. It maintained the distinction between matters of church and state, which is vital to religious liberty. Let's see what happened next. And they all took hold of Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, and began beating him in front of the judgment seat. And Gallio was not concerned about any of these things. Now, we really don't know exactly what happened here because we can't tell who the they is who took hold of Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, and began beating him. The immediate context points to the Jews. It looks like they may have taken 
uh, hold of their leader and beat him, perhaps for bungling the case and getting it thrown out of court. Or maybe they did so because Sosthenes had become sympathetic with Paul, or worse, had converted like Crispus, the leader of the synagogue mentioned back in verse 8. And we do find a Sosthenes mentioned as a companion of Paul in 1 Corinthians. Or it may not have been the Jews at all who beat him. A textual variant says the Greeks beat Sosthenes. Maybe bystanders were annoyed by what the Jews had tried to do and took it out on their leader. Or it may have been the lictors who drove the Jews away. Maybe Sosthenes tried to stay and and argue further and they had to beat him to get rid of them. We really don't know what happened here. But the bottom line is that whoever beat Sosthenes, for whatever reason, did so in full view of Gallio, and he apparently didn't care. Now, when it says Gallio is not concerned about these things, I think that's what it's talking about. I think it's saying he was indifferent to the treatment of Sosthenes. He, he saw through what was going on. And he didn't care that it had led into some internal conflict and some struggle. I do not believe it means he was indifferent to the matter of religious liberty. Sometimes it's interpreted that way. Sometimes this passage is interpreted as if Gallia was not concerned about religious matters. He just didn't care. But I think there's a good chance that he did care. And that's why he didn't let the Jews railroad him into making a decision he knew he had no business making. As Pilate had done with Jesus. He handled the matter the way a good secular judge should. By refusing to get involved in a religious matter. And his decision resulted in great freedom for the Apostle Paul. In the very next verse, we'll discover that Paul remained in Corinth for many days longer. And he left when he chose to do so. He wasn't forced out of town or silenced by a judge who overstepped his bounds. And because Gallio refused to judge Christianity as being separate from Judaism, Christianity enjoyed protection under Roman law as a religio licita for the next 10 to 12 years until the reign of Nero, when Christianity was made the scapegoat for his failed policies. Until then, Paul was free to preach the gospel under the protection of law. And he was even able to appeal to Caesar directly to guarantee that freedom. This is pretty cool. I trust you can see some interesting parallels between then and now. Now, Gallio's decision may not have spelled out the right to free exercise of religion under the law, but it resulted in the same for Paul. And Paul cherished that right. And he took advantage of the liberty he had to speak the truth openly and clearly. 
I think we too cherish our religious liberties. And I believe we must be ever vigilant to preserve them. They are under attack constantly. They have been for 2,000 years. It shouldn't shock us. It shouldn't surprise us. And it certainly shouldn't silence us. Now, fortunately, we live in a free society, and we have the right to vote into office legislators, administrators, and even some of the judges who will protect these liberties. So let's be careful to examine their records and know where they stand on matters of separation of church and state. Now, we don't pass out little voter cards for you. We don't tell you how to vote. But I think we need to take seriously our responsibilities to know where those who are in positions of authority and power over us stand on these matters and act accordingly. And, of course, let's pray for God to raise up judges like Gallio who will have the wisdom to see through the the tactics of those who would infringe our religious freedom. You know, God is still in control. Let's not forget that. And let's trust that God will act to preserve the freedoms that enable us to practice our faith and to speak the truth without, hopefully, fear of recrimination. Let's do everything we can to make certain that we can go on speaking and not be intimidated into silence. May we always be a nation that trusts in God, like our coins say, and a nation that allows her people to obey him openly and freely even if that obedience goes against the current thinking or that which is politically correct at the moment. May God give us all the courage we need to trust and to obey